Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. With two months to go before the inauguration of presumed president-elect Joe Biden, the transition process is slowly taxing on the runway in order to take off. Biden is considering his top cabinet, White House, and agency appointments, while the Trump administration is less than helpful in sharing essential information, facilities, and services in light of legal disputes and allegations pertaining to election fraud. And while the Middle East is evidently bracing itself ahead of an expected transition of power in Washington, Jerusalem officials are seemingly challenged with protecting America's historic bipartisan support enjoyed for many decades. To evaluate the current situation and prospects for the future, joining our panel from Washington, D.C. is Mr. Robert Silverman, who is a lecturer at Shalem College and former president of the American Foreign Service Association. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Also joining us from Jerusalem is Ambassador uh, Yoram Ettinger, who is an expert on Middle East and U.S.-Israel relations. Uh, welcome as well. Thank you. And with me in the studio is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren. And Mr. Oren, I'd like to start with a uh, question uh, pertaining to uh, the, the allegations voiced by the Trump administration. Um, well, everybody presumes, of course, that uh, Joe Biden is uh, the, the president-elect in light of not only winning the popular vote, but uh, the, the projections uh, that uh, are stated in the United States with regard to the Electoral College. Um, all disputes need to be resolved. There is a deadline within uh, uh, the, the code, the fifth code of uh, uh, the United States Constitution, which uh, provides a deadline for resolving election disputes by December 8th. Why, why does the international community uh, so quickly already call uh, uh, Joe Biden as the president-elect of the United States? Well, if you want to get uh, really technical, we have to wait until the uh, Electoral College uh, meets and uh, votes in, in January. Uh, and there are uh, unfaithful electors, and um, it can go on uh, like that, eventually uh, reaching the uh, Supreme Court uh, for resolution. But uh, this is um, a back-of-the-envelope uh, sort of uh, uh, short nickname for uh, Joe Biden. Because the international community abhors a vacuum and uncertainty, and the television networks uh, have gained the reputation of being able to call elections in the various states. And uh, as we all remember, this is not one election. These are 50 separate elections, uh, plus uh, uh, three electors from other entities, uh, not uh, uh, states. Um, it has been the conventional wisdom that whatever the uh, uh, networks uh, say uh, is going uh, uh, to become ground truth. Nevertheless, uh, if we're talking about history, and I uh, went through all the elections in the past several decades, uh, it was only when the incumbent president or uh, the uh, opposing candidate uh, conceded to the other 
uh, hopeful, uh, the uh, presidential post. Only then did the international community voice their congratulatory messages towards Washington uh, to whomever is presumed to become the president-elect. In this current situation, which is maybe unprecedented uh, to a certain degree, this was not the case, and uh, the Trump administration is moving forward with legal claims pertaining to the December 8th, uh, uh, based on the Constitution, of course. So we will know uh, soon enough, uh, because December 8th uh, uh, is certain to come around. Um, but uh, this is style, not substance. For all practical reasons, it is difficult to see, even though there are historical precedents for uh, certain states uh, being uh, flipped uh, from the uh, election day to the uh, final count, it is difficult to see how Joe Biden will lose the 36 electoral votes that he already has about above 270. Uh, or 37, about 269, which would uh, end in a draw uh, with uh, Donald Trump. So for all practical purposes, and granted, um, there is a slight chance that this could change if we want to analyze what is going to happen in the next uh, few years, uh, rather than um, uh, focus on the possibilities of President Trump staying in office for another term, uh, which could make for a very boring discussion, why don't we try and analyze what a prospective President Biden would do? And so we shall. I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Silverman the next question with regard to a few angles pertaining actually to to the, the history of the Trump administration and the uh, somewhat expected uh, emergence of a Biden administration. Uh, in 2016, uh, there were a group of 50 senior um, Republican national security advisors who uh, signed on a letter um, with regard to uh, uh, the, the then president hopeful Donald Trump. And uh, they, they warned as follows, Trump would be the most reckless president in American history. He lacks the character, values, and experience. He would put at risk uh, our country's national security and well-being coming from uh, the Republican Party at the time. Uh, one of those uh, people who signed was uh, uh, U.S. Uh, envoy, for Syria during the Trump administration, uh, James Jeffrey, who you also know on a personal level, and uh, who uh, was interviewed on, on several uh, uh, media outlets and, and made some statements on this, and he retracted uh, his uh, position on President Trump, even though he already resigned and was able to uh, be interviewed on the matter. Uh, he altered his position uh, based on uh, actions that the Trump administration took on the ground, something that, of course, everybody takes note of. And uh, he actually uh, provided his own analysis for the future, expecting uh, a lot of continuity, as he put it, uh, that pertains to the Middle East. Do you think that um, we should expect continuity between a Trump administration to a Biden administration, despite the rhetoric voiced by both candidates? Well, good question, Jonathan. I, I hope so. 
you know, U.S. national interests uh, remain uh, the same in the Middle East, uh, despite a change of administration. And and there should be continuity. And, of course, my former boss, uh, Jim Jeffrey, uh, as you noted, uh, was brought into the administration after signing one of the uh, Never Trump letters. His job is to reassure allies that there will be continuity. And so he's doing his job. Uh, I would also note, by the way, he wasn't the only person who came out against uh, President Trump in the 2016 election who later had a senior job. You also have Elliot Abrams, who had uh, also a Republican, who had criticized Trump during the campaign of 2016 and is now the Iran czar. Very important job in the administration. So, Indeed. Uh, yeah. So, in short, I hope there is going to be continuity. I'm troubled by a few uh, signs because... The Middle East, Jonathan, is one of the few areas, really, where a Biden administration will inherit a relatively good situation, a, a certain improvement over four years ago. I mean, what you have now in the Middle East is this exciting new alliance between Israel and Gulf states, uh, backed by Saudi Arabia behind the scenes. Uh, this is a game changer in the Middle East, and it's a result of the Trump peace plan, as the, as, uh, the parties themselves have, have acknowledged. And so a Biden administration will inherit that. And so my question would be, will they be able to sustain that? And I'm concerned. Uh, I'll give you three quick reasons why I'm concerned. One is the traditional dismissal of one administration of, of the prior administration's policies. That, that has been a tradition, an unfortunate partisan tradition in the U.S., whereby an incoming administration tends to say, hey, those prior guys didn't know what they were doing. We're going to start over again. So we saw that in 92 being the transition between George H.W. Bush and President Clinton administration when the Madrid peace process and the multilateral peace process was allowed to continue but wasn't given any priority. And instead they went for the Oslo uh, process. Instead they started a new process with, uh, that had its own dynamic. So uh, you see a lot of examples of this. So uh, anything called a Trump peace plan may not be uh, a highlight of an incoming Biden administration. So that's one. And the second concern I have is Iran, because this new alliance, pro-American alliance in the Middle East, is backed by um, a very strong policy on Iran. And the Biden administration will try to renegotiate with Iran, and that will send our um, Israeli and Arab allies in the Gulf in a bit of concern, I I'm suspect, and, and will be hard to expand this new alliance in that environment. And the third reason is the Biden administration has already signaled that it wants to reassess relations with Saudi Arabia, that it is unhappy with Saudi Arabia. And Vice President and now President-elect Biden himself has a very difficult relationship with Saudi Arabia traditionally. And Saudi Arabia, like them or not, are, are the power in the Arab side behind this new alliance, and, um, and they're sustaining it. And so attempts to attack Saudi Arabia and reassess U.S. relations at this time, I think, would be ill-advised. Let's hope they won't do it. Um, yeah. My final note of optimism will be that we're going to know many of the people in an Biden administration because they were in the Obama administration. Um, one of the names that's currently being rumored about, of course, is Dan Shapiro, who was for seven years the U.S. ambassador to Israel, and he was certainly a key advisor to Biden on the campaign. So we expect to see him back in the administration. So we'll know many of the names 
they'll be experienced people. Ambassador Ettinger, I'd like to hear uh, your analysis about the the fact that uh, Jerusalem seems to struggle with uh, the wording, with uh, the uh, announcements uh, coming out from Jerusalem with regard to the the, uh, uh, presidential hopefuls and and later also uh, with the presumed victor, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, When we go back to 2006, on the 9th of uh, uh, November, uh, when uh, Hillary Clinton at the time conceded the election to President Trump, Netanyahu was one of the first to come out uh, as the Prime Minister of Israel uh, and uh, saying, quote, President-elect Trump, my friend, congratulations on uh, being elected President of the United States of America. You're a great friend of Israel. Over the years, you've expressed your support uh, consistently, and I deeply appreciate it. And he goes on and forth about the strong strength of the alliance between the two nations. Um, Now, on uh, several... Years later, of course, the the, uh, situation is still unresolved until the 8th, but um, Prime Minister Netanyahu did come out already with uh, uh, an announcement uh, a day later than uh, last uh, uh, election in which he already congratulated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but he omitted the fact that he's president-elect. He didn't really emphasize uh, the victory as a victory, but rather uh, try to to provide some foundation for the, the alliance between the two nations and the fact that Joe Biden has been an ardent supporter of Israel for many years during the 46 years of his uh, public uh, service. Do you see a certain challenge for a right-wing government in Israel to be more accepting of uh not necessarily the win of a Democratic hopeful, but rather the loss of a Republican hopeful who's been uh, not only a vocal supporter of Israel, but also quite clearly on the ground with so many achievements for the Jewish state in the last several years. The issue is not uh, Trump or Biden. Uh, The issue has to do with the worldview, which characterized the Obama-Biden administration versus the worldview which characterized the Trump administration. And it has to do, for instance, uh, with the issue of cosmopolitan worldview, uh, which uh, subordinates the unilateral national security action of the US to a multilateral uh, consensus or uh, influence, for instance, the 2015 agreement with uh, Iran. Certainly, the Biden's worldview, and more than that, the worldview of everyone on the slate of potential national security advisors, Secretary of State, Ambassador to Israel, the worldview is very obvious, much more cosmopolitan than a unilateral national security action uh, by the United uh, States. Uh, the, the worldview has to do with the defense budget. Uh, the eight years of Obama-Biden reduced gradually, substantially, the U.S. defense budget. The four years of Trump uh, rebounded the defense budget in a very substantial uh, manner, which means uh, tailwind to the U.S. posture of deterrence, which also uh, means a certain 
degree of confidence to every single ally of the U.S. in the Middle East and uh, beyond. The issue of uh, Iran. Do you embrace Iran as did the Obama-Biden administration as suggested by everyone, every one of the candidates with the top national security, defense, foreign policy uh, uh, positions in the Biden administration? Or do you sustain the military and financial pressure of uh, Iran, reverting back to the Obama-Biden uh, attitude towards uh, Iran would be a major blow to every single pro-American, moderate Arab regime uh, from Egypt through Jordan and Saudi Arabia especially, and UAE and Bahrain and uh, Oman, even uh, Kuwait, and certainly uh, would be greeted enthusiastically by the Ayatollahs, by the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, by every single anti-American element in the Middle East. Uh, the issue of worldview has to do with Islamic terrorism. Do you underestimate Islamic terrorism as was uh, uh, typical of the Obama-Biden administration, referring to it as a workplace uh, violence, uh, disregarding its direct impact upon homeland security in the U.S., or do you take Islamic terrorism uh, as it is realistically a top threat to uh, the national homeland security of the United States? And certainly, when it comes to the peace process, do you or don't you realize that Middle East uh, reality uh, stipulates documents that distancing oneself from the Palestinian issue expands the framework of Israeli-Arab uh, peace uh, process as uh, evidenced by Israel-Egypt, Israel-Jordan, Israel-UAE, and Bahrain, mm -hmm. and Sudan? Or do you revert back to the highly simplistic and detached worldview, which assumes that the Palestinian issue plays a central role uh, in a way, according the Palestinian issue, a veto power over the peace uh, uh, process. And last and not least, the view of, uh, of Israel. Uh, does the top guy in the White House uh, send the message that Israel is not just a recipient of foreign aid, but a unique ally and force multiplier of the U.S., or do you use the so-called, erroneously called foreign aid, foreign aid as a leverage to squeeze more uh, concessions from uh, Israel? Indeed. Mr. Oren, uh, both our distinguished panelists raised a uh, uh, JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, commonly referred to as uh, the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, uh, and for, for good reason. Also, uh, during uh, uh, the debate uh, between Kamala Harris and uh, 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 Vice Mike President Pence. Mike Pence, uh, she raised the fact, well, uh, ironically, she initially um, condemned uh, Trump's uh, relations with both uh, uh, China and Russia for uh, having close relations with them. She emphasized a need to re-enter the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which Russia and China are a big part of. Uh, nevertheless, uh, 
if we really go into uh, the substance of uh, uh, this uh, discussion, uh, during uh, the first um, debate between Trump and uh, Biden, uh, the U.S. Uh, Director of National Intelligence, Redcliffe, uh, came out and said that, uh, uh, quote, uh, we have confirmed that uh, some voter registration information has been obtained by Iran and separately by Russia. This data can be used by foreign actors to attempt to communicate false information to uh, registered voters. And uh, towards the end, he also says um, that uh, um, oh, we have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters and cite social unrest and damage President Trump, uh, specifically going more in favor of Trump uh, rather than uh, Biden. Then later the uh, on October 1st, uh, or before that, on October 1st, uh, uh, Twitter from uh, all uh, uh, platforms came out and said that based on intel provided by the FBI, uh, they have removed approximately 130 accounts that appear to originate in Iran. They were attempting to disrupt the public conversation during the first 2020 U.S. presidential debate. Uh, during the presidential election itself, uh, on November 3rd, uh, Foreign Minister Zarif visited both Cuba and Venezuela, uh, of course, uh, uh, two ardent uh, uh, enemies or, or rivals of uh, the United States, and uh, after the presumed uh, victory of Joe Biden, even though the Ayatollah and his uh, advisors in the different capacities repeatedly said uh, on uh, Iranian uh, national uh, or regime-owned uh, uh, media that uh, uh, they don't care who wins because they ultimately uh, will regard the United States as their enemy regardless of, uh, of uh, the victor. And uh, uh, the, the question uh, pertains to the last point of everything. Are we to expect a different uh, Joe Biden policy towards Iran, also considering the fact that the Iranians themselves are convinced that because of all this assistance that they provided to the Biden administration, now the Biden administration will come and... Uh, uh, somewhat uh, serve as a messiah and, and bail them out by compensating for all what Trump has done? Or are we expected for continuity once again? Well, several points um, in your question. Um, the Iranian help, if there was one, was marginal, did not have any impact. And the Department of Homeland Security said that um, this election uh, was the most secure ever. No one uh, tampered with it, no uh, foreign actor, and they can uh, vouch for it. Now, the question of continuity came up earlier. And um, uh, when President Trump took office, he took pride in um, having a U-turn rather than uh, continuity regarding Iranian policy, both because uh, he made uh, a point of uh, fulfilling campaign pledges and because of the content of this particular campaign pledge. Um, conversely, candidate Biden, even before he became the nominee of the Democratic Party, in a very authoritative article in Foreign Affairs, pledged to go back and negotiate uh, what one may call JCPOA 2.0. Another deal, uh, not necessarily uh, the exact replica of the JCPOA, but yes, this was his uh, policy and he has a mandate 
uh, to fulfill it. Which was exactly the intention of the Trump administration, which at least the uh, President Trump voiced uh, prior to the election. Yes, but President Trump, because it was an Obama achievement or failure, as Trump portrayed it, was against going back to the JCPOA, and Biden, for the same reason, uh, is for it. One, one last point. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been in office now for 14 years. Uh, for the first uh, 10 of those, both in the 90s and later, his misfortune was to work with Democratic presidents. First President Clinton and then President Obama. Uh, it was, uh, of course, Speaker Gingrich on the Republican side who was his ally. Uh, and uh, the Clintons, both uh, Bill and Hillary, did not like it uh, at the time. Now he will have to contend again with a Democratic president when uh, Netanyahu expressly cast his lot and Likud's with the Republican Party. So there are domestic undertones to this problem. And when uh, Netanyahu in 2015 came to Congress in order to work against a sitting American president, he took a risk which short range may have succeeded, but now is coming back to bite him. Well, uh, Mr. Silverman, I'd like to hear shortly uh to what degree are we expected for uh, the ties between Washington and Jerusalem to heal in the near future? Or are we expected to see a, a reoccurrence of uh, uh, the Obama administration that even though on the security level he did try to uh, secure Israel's uh, national security interests, uh, on the political level he was far from interested in Israeli interests? Great question, uh, Jonathan. I would say that uh, there, there's good news here. Um, Israel is unique among the Middle East countries. It has really bipartisan support. Uh, there are strong uh, Democrats who are committed to Israel. I, th I think uh, President-elect Biden considers himself uh, the leader of such a group. And so um, I would contrast that with uh, Saudi Arabia, where, in fact, um, there are no good relations between uh, uh, the um, Biden administration, uh, Biden folks, and, and Saudi Arabia. So, in some respects, is well positioned in a Biden administration to be even more influential in the region because it is the one country uh, that has really strong ties to both camps in the U.S. Um, Turkey, for example, Turkey, um, the very last uh, world leader to uh, congratulate. Biden, I believe, was uh, was or at least one of the last was President Erdogan of Turkey, and so uh, Erdogan had good relations with Trump, and so um, uh, and does not have particularly great relations with uh, Vice President Biden. So Israel well, has. We'll, ties we'll to have to revisit this topic as yeah. we're running out of time, unfortunately. And I'd like to also hear Ambassador. Uh, Ettinger, unfortunately, we're out of time. So uh, I will invite you back to the panel in order to further discuss uh, today's topic. I'd like to thank Ambassador Ettinger, Mr. Silverman, and Mr. Olin for joining us for today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.